Take your Bibles out and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, I want to talk to you this morning on the theme, living a life of faith. Living a life of faith. By the way, before I get started, uh, how many teachers, how many school administrators, how many of those folks do we have in here this morning? Would you stand please? If you're a teacher, you're a school administrator, all over the place this morning, fantastic. We want to pray for these folks. We're grateful for all of our teachers and our administrators around here, and we we need to pray for our students and parents. Big week getting underway this week with our schools, and some, I believe, have already started, some of the private schools. And so we definitely want to pray for them this morning and uh, also certainly praying for the folks in Texas. I went to seminary in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, got married in December of 85. Two weeks later, keep in mind, Connie was a native Charlottean, born and raised there, never been out of Charlotte except on vacation. And uh, two weeks later, I'm carrying her to Texas. She's crying all the way out there. Take me back. Take me back. After three years in seminary out there, when we were coming back this way, she's crying again. Take me back. We grew to love the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So uh, anyway, pray for those folks who are really struggling out there. And uh, the hurricane now parked over top of them. And Uh, 36, 40, 45 inches of rain being predicted, just incredible. Uh, Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? Living a life of faith, and we're going to jump around a little bit in chapter 11 as we're reading it this morning, and then I'll go back and I'll make reference to other verses, and I'll leave you to read the balance of the chapter this afternoon. Verse 1, the writer says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Then move down to verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. And in the end of the chapter, pick up at verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Father, we thank you for your word and the challenge that we have in this chapter to live lives of faith. What a great chapter in the Bible. 
It's one of the classics. It's been called the Westminster Abbey of faith and the roll call of faith. God, we thank you for the lives of the people that we read about in Hebrews 11 and what they teach us about living out faith in a very uncertain time. God, I pray that you would open our minds this morning. Teach us through your Holy Spirit. You said that he would be our teacher and our counselor and that he would bring to mind all things that we need to remember. And so, God, I pray that he would do that this morning. You know the hearts of everybody here. Lord, I pray that you would work in hearts and change lives. God, we do pray for our teachers and students and parents this week. Lord, as they get started, we pray for a school year where learning would take place, that, uh, that our youth and children here in the church, God, that, that you would help them to be uh, wonderful witnesses in their classroom, in the halls, Lord, everywhere they go at school, that, that they would just be wonderful examples to others. We pray for the teachers and administrators that you would give them wisdom. And God, we do want to pray for those in Texas who are experiencing trouble right now. The Bible says we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and we're to weep with those who weep. And we know that many in that state are weeping and some have lost everything. And I know in days to come, no doubt, uh, we will be called on in many ways to help out and God, I pray that uh, our hearts uh, would be open. And uh, Lord, we just uh, we thank you that through it all, that there are going to be those that we're confident that will turn to you in this tragedy. And that you will use this, even though we don't see now what you'll do. We know that you're able to bring good even out of very tragic things. And so we pray that, that you would do that in this case. Now again, God, be with us as we journey through your word together. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You know, we're not very far into the New Testament. Not very far at all until we read about Jesus walking by the shore of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and he sees James and John in a boat with their dad, their fishermen, and Jesus says, come and follow me. And the Bible says that they left their nets, they left their fishing, they left their father, and they followed Jesus. Folks, they left it all behind to become disciples of Christ. Then a few verses later, we see Jesus doing the same with Simon and Andrew. And again, he told them to come and leave your fishing and come and I will teach you to be fishers of men. And again, Simon and Andrew did that and they left everything and they followed Jesus Christ. Folks, the hardest thing that you and I may ever be called upon to do in life Will, to be, will, will be to live a life of faith. Jesus said nobody can come after him and be his disciple unless he's willing to deny, or not just willing, unless he does deny himself and pick up his cross and follow after me. If you're expecting a life of ease, a life of convenience, a life where you and I get all the pleasures of the world and all the comforts and everything that we want while we're being a Christian, you might be sadly disappointed. 
It can be difficult to live a life of faith. And that's what we're going to see in this chapter. The chapter begins with some general observations as to the nature of faith. Now more so than simply defining faith, the writer is going to give us some very significant features of faith. And then he's going to show us how Faith is fleshed out in everyday life. Now it's very important to understand the context of Hebrews chapter 11. The book was written to Jewish believers who are facing the loss of family, the loss of friends, and the loss of their jobs because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And they are remembering how good they had it, how it was under the temple system of the old covenant. And they're being tempted to go back to that in order to spare themselves some of the hardships that they're now experiencing. And so all through the book of Hebrews, the writer is reminding them not to do that. What they have in Christ is so much better than anything in the Old Covenant. Christ is better than the law. Christ is better than Moses. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the Aaronic uh, priesthood. In fact, with the coming of Christ in the world, God is not even dealing with mankind on the basis of the Old Covenant anymore. And what that means is if they go back to the temple system, if they go back to the old covenant, they're going to be reverting back to a way that God is not going to bless. And they need to think about that. Everything in the old covenant, was only a shadow of what was to come. And so with the advent of Jesus, the shadows have passed away and the reality has arrived. And so they don't need to shrink back. Look at the way chapter 10 closes, beginning there in verse uh, 35. He says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence Uh, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith and preserve our souls. And so they don't need to shrink back. What we see here in this passage is that you and I need to pay whatever price is necessary in order to press on and grow in our faith in Christ. We serve a God who cannot lie. As Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 2, we serve a God who cannot lie and he will give his children everything that he has promised to them. Our God is faithful and we can count on that. Now folks, that's a powerful word for us today because we are living in a world where not only are the numbers of Christians shrinking in America, according to some things I'm going to talk about in a moment, uh, but it's also predicted that those in the Christian faith are going to be experiencing more and more hostilities against our faith. So our numbers in America are shrinking, and while they're shrinking, the culture is turning more and more against believers, so if we 
ever needed to hear that we need to endure and we need fortitude and we need a strength beyond anything we possess on our own, it's now. We need to walk in faith. We need to live in faith depending on God who is greater than ourselves. But what is faith and what's it look like? And that's what he's going to talk about. First thing I want you to see with me this morning is uh, what faith is. What faith is. There in verse 1, he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I love the note at the bottom of the page in the ESV study Bible. If you've got the ESV study Bible on your lap, you can look down and read the note or just simply on the sermon notes page that I gave to you. It says, by defining faith as assurance and conviction, the author indicates that biblical faith is not a vague hope grounded in imaginary wishful thinking. Instead, faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something that is not yet seen but has been promised by God will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. Thus, biblical faith is not blind trust in the face of contrary evidence, not an unknowable leap in the dark. Rather, biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, eternally trustworthy, the God who has revealed himself in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ whose promises have proven true from generation to generation and who will never leave nor forsake his own what a statement folks I think that is a wonderful statement or summary about faith and and that that statement helps us to understand helps me to understand faith a little more faith is a steadfast hope in a trustworthy God Believing what God has told us is the foundation of the Christian life. You see, you and I were not there at creation and we've not yet witnessed how God is going to wrap everything up at the end of time. God's word and his promises are all that we have to go on. And his word and his promises, therefore, are what are to be the foundation of our life and the anchor of our life. Now let me say before we go any further with this, what the writer is not telling us to have is faith in faith. You see, the object of your faith is not faith, it's a trustworthy God. Your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. If you're pulling a heavy trailer with a truck down a mountain and you've not checked the brakes, you don't know if they're good or not, and you haven't maintained them, guess what? You might have faith in those brakes, but you might end up losing your very life. What do you have faith in? He's telling us in this chapter to make sure that we have faith in the God of the Bible who's revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Faith in God. Faith is the assurance, he says, or the conviction that God will do everything that he's promised even though we do not see the fulfillment of all of his promises as of yet. But something you and I have though that the earlier saints did not have is the complete canon of Scripture. 
Because you see, we have the advantage of being able to read God's promises to them and then we can see, even in some cases, how God brought those promises to pass after they died. We have that vantage point that they didn't. Now obviously we don't read of all of God's promises coming to pass yet because all of them have not come to pass. Some of them are still yet in the future. But we have the vantage point of seeing many of His promises that have come to pass. I think about a couple of them. More than 700 years before Jesus was born there at Bethlehem, the prophet Isaiah said that a virgin was going to give birth to a son and it happened exactly the way Isaiah the prophet said more than 700 years before it happened. And then add to that Micah the prophet. Micah said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem Ephratah. Now what is so significant about that is Bethlehem Ephratah was the Bethlehem outside of Jerusalem. There is another Bethlehem up in northern Israel in Galilee near Nazareth. And the prophet said no it's not going to be that Bethlehem. It's going to be the Bethlehem in the south. You knew Jesus was a good old southern boy right? But you talk about the specificity of Scripture. I mean, it's not just Bethlehem. It's Bethlehem Ephratah. You say, how in the world could Isaiah have known that? And how in the world could Micah the prophet have known that more than 700 years before the incarnation? i tell you why. It's because the Holy Spirit of the living God inspired them. We have the promises of a trustworthy God. And you know what that means for you and me today? Whatever promises are yet unfulfilled, we can count on them because we see how God has already fulfilled many of them, exactly as He said. And so we can have conviction, we can have assurance. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now secondly this morning I want you to see the necessity of faith. Read with me verse 2 and then verse 6. He says in verse 2, For by it the people of old received their commendation. And then down in verse 6 he says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 2 tells us that it was by faith that the people of old received their commendation. They They were praised by God when they took God at His word. And when they took God at His word, they witnessed the mighty hand of God moving. You know, Abraham's an example of that, isn't he? In the book of Genesis and also Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 4. What does the scripture say about Abraham? It says that Abraham believed God and what did God do? God credited unto him as righteousness. You see what the Bible is saying? The Bible is saying exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. That it was by faith that Abraham received his commendation. God counted his faith as righteousness. But verse 6 is even more emphatic. Verse 6 tells us that it is impossible to please God without faith. 
And then he lays down some very simple and common sense uh, premises. Whoever would draw near to God must believe two things. You must believe that God exists, that God is there, and secondly, that God rewards those who seek Him. Now, so far in the book of Hebrews, he's just simply being just very straightforward, very simple. Everything he is saying, uh, a person of faith would be able to affirm and say amen to. But I want you to see what he's doing here. He's laying a groundwork. He's laying a framework for what he is about to say in terms of application. He's going to show them that the difficulty they are facing in the first century AD is nothing new to God's people. Because all of the heroes of their faith paid tremendously for their faith too. Faith is easy to read about, it's easy to talk about, it's easy to say that we have faith, but do we really have faith? Those in the Bible who had faith that was more than simple words paid dearly for their faith. There was a price to pay. Now, obviously everybody he mentions in this chapter is from the Old Testament. Again, the writer of Hebrews, 1st century A.D., his readers are being tempted to revert back to the old covenant system. And what he's wanting them to see is that suffering is nothing new. It's nothing new under the new covenant. It's nothing new for Christians because even the saints of old under the old covenant likewise suffered for their faith. And so what Christianity is asking is nothing new. What do you and I need to understand? You and I need to understand living a life of faith is costly. Now let's see some of the examples of this. The third thing I want you to see with me is what faith looks like. What faith looks like. I'm going to begin reading in verse 4, and we're not going to read very many of these characters. Again, I'll let you do that this afternoon on your own. But beginning in verse 4, he says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Look down at verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He, by faith he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Heirs with him of the same promise. And so what he's doing here is he's showing us what faith looks like in everyday human examples. I love what he's doing. He's highlighting people. 
You see, if all you do is talk about faith, faith can be kind of a nebulous thing. Faith can kind of be like uh, trying to nail jello to a wall. Faith can be hard to get your arms around and understand. And so by giving us examples like us and what faith did in their lives, it helps us to understand what it is. And so what is it that we learn about faith from all of these characters? What are some application points for you and me? What does faith look like in a believer's life? First of all, Faith believes God. Faith believes God. Every one of these Old Testament characters did exactly what verse 1 and verse 6 talked about. God spoke to them and when God spoke to them they heeded his words. They believed and they obeyed. Now at this point you'll notice he doesn't describe any of the struggles some of the Old Testament characters had. They were human just like us and so an Abraham for example could believe God in one instance. And then in the next instance, he could mess up by trying to take matters into his own hands. The great thing about the Bible is the Bible is very transparent about the struggles and the shortcomings of its heroes. But that's beyond what he's trying to say at this point. He simply wants us to understand that they believed God. They took the overall witness of their life. Despite temporary stumblings that they might be engaged in, the overall witness of their life is that they took God at his word and they went on to do something about it. Faith believes God. Folks, I hope you'll take God at his word. I love what Dr. Billy Graham said on one occasion. Dr. Billy Graham, in the younger days of his ministry, he was asked about some of the problem or so-called problem passages in the Bible. It's interesting as time has gone on and more manuscript discoveries, more archaeological discoveries, more of those problems have gone away. But he was asked about problem text. And he said, you know what? The problem is not with the Bible. The problem is with me. I'm a finite man. And, and, and I've just decided that if I'm reading something in the Bible that's difficult to understand, understand or reconcile with everything it's because I don't have enough evidence and giving a passage of time and giving more evidence I will understand the Bible more fully given time he said it may take eternity to understand some of these things but he said you know what I'm going to do I'm going to believe God I'm going to take God at his word and that's what I'm going to preach Now, folks, I think that is a very wise statement. You and I don't need to try to sit in judgment on the Bible because we're finite, God's infinite. And so I have no problems believing or admitting some things that that I may not fully understand until I get to heaven. And that doesn't mean they're not true. It only means that my knowledge is limited. All of the saints of old believed God. Faith believes God. Second application point. Faith acts upon what it believes. 
faith is more than just empty words. And he's going to give us examples. He's going to talk about Abel and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Rahab and Isaiah along with many others. We don't have time to cover them all this morning. But in each case, the person who believed God acted on their faith and their faith changed their lives. Now let's think about a few of them here. Let's think about Abel. One writer says that there must have been a backstory here that we're not told about. The backstory would have been instructions that God had given to Abel and Cain about an offering. And Abel believed God and acted on what God's word had said. Now there's two things about Abel's offering that was not true of Cain's offering. The first is Abel gave his offering in faith. And secondly, it was a blood sacrifice. Now as one writer said, since God had already covered Adam and Eve's nakedness with animal skins, thus the shedding of blood, God had apparently demanded an animal sacrifice. This would have been a prefiguring of the later Mosaic law with its animal offerings. That was the backstory. And Abel heard God, heard him clearly, and listened, and he obeyed. And Cain didn't. Cain knew what he was supposed to do, and he just didn't do it. He knew the type of offering he was to give to God and he just refused to do it. You might say it'd be like somebody today saying, Hey, I know God says tithe, give 10%. I'm not going to do that. I'll give 5%. I'm not going to give 10%. I'm just not going to do it. That's Cain. I'm not going to do what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to offer whatever it is I want to offer. Let's take an example out of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says that we're to love even our enemies. I've never seen our nation more polarized. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, we're gonna, we, we need to, as Christians, even love our enemy. But some people say, I'm not going to do that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going I'm to love those who love me. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Here's what I've said. Here's what God says. You've got to love your enemies even as yourself. You can't say, well, I'm not going to do what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do. That would be being like Cain. Jesus said, your righteousness has got to go further than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees if you want to see the kingdom of heaven. Think with me about Noah. Noah had not even seen rain. And yet God told Noah to build an ark. Because of the way God said in Genesis that man only had 120 years, many scholars believe what's being taught about here is not man's lifespan, but God is saying to Noah, you've got 120 years to build this ark and then the floodwaters are going to come. So 120 years, Noah is gathering all that material together and he's cutting it and he's hammering it together. 
I'm looking forward next month to going with about 42 of you to up to see the ark exhibit. People who have seen that say they, they never imagined how gigantic the ark was. But here's Noah, that whole 120 years, he's building that massive structure. And the New Testament says the whole time he's building that, his culture around him is mocking him and insulting him. He's hammering away and sawing away and building away. And, and Peter says he's turning and he's, pre- he's a preacher of righteousness. He's building, he's preaching. I guess one of the first bivocational preachers, right? But anyway, he's, he's just building that ark and he's preaching. And the whole time he's preaching, everybody's making fun of him and insulting him and mocking him. Why in the world would a man do what Noah did? I'll tell you why he did what, what, why Noah did what he did. Because he believed God and he acted on his faith. Verse 7 says he had not just fear, but a reverent fear. He had a reverent fear of God and he believed God. Then let's think about Abraham. Abraham had to leave where he was and strike out without knowing what the end result would be. He left his homeland and his people to go somewhere he didn't even know yet. God said simply, go and I'll show you where you're supposed to go. Now folks, just think about the securities that Abraham gave up. The security of family, the security of having his roots down in Ur of the Chaldeans. And yet he gave all of that up. To obey God and do what God told him to do. He acted upon his faith. On top of that, he offered Isaac up. Even though he knew God had promised all of his descendants were going to come through Isaac. The writer of Hebrews says that that Abraham knew that God is even able to raise the dead. And so he obeyed God. Folks, you see common threads thus far in these characters. Just talking about Abraham and Noah and Abel. These folks did not see the outcome of their faith. They could not see all of their future steps and what they would encounter. All they saw was the next step in front of them. And because they believed God, they took that next step confident that God would lead them the remainder of the way. Also, family and friends wouldn't have understood them. And yet, they were not dependent upon the opinions of others. Now, let's keep going with a couple more here. Chapter 11 talks about Moses. Think about Moses raised in Pharaoh's household. All you've got to do is read in some of the historical literature the wealth of the Egyptian empire at this time. And here's Moses in Pharaoh's household. I mean, folks, Moses has it all. And yet he gives all of it up to suffer with his people. Quite a testimony. And then there's Rahab that he mentions in verse 31. I love Rahab being included in chapter 11 because she was a prostitute which shows that there is hope for anybody who repents and turns to God. You might think I've gone too far. No, look at the life of Rahab. 
What a testimony. When Rahab hid those spies in her home, I want you to think about what she was doing. She was putting everything on the line. Had, her, had the men of her city discovered those Hebrew spies hid out there in her home, not only would those spies have lost their lives, but folks, Rahab would have lost her life and, and, and every member of her household would have lost their life. She was putting it all on the line. Why would a woman do that? Because she had come to believe in the God of Israel and it changed her life. And she believed God and she acted on her faith and then there's Isaiah that he mentions here Isaiah was told in Isaiah chapter 20 he, there was one assignment he had very difficult very difficult assignment in Isaiah chapter 20 God tells Isaiah that he is to go around totally naked for three years preaching and that going around totally naked for three years preaching is going to be an example to the people because they are trusting in Egypt and yet he's saying Assyria is going to come in and take uh, Egypt off, Egypt naked off. They're going to strip e Egypt of everything. You're putting your faith in somebody, a group of people, a nation that's going to be stripped naked and carried away. And so Isaiah's life was to be an example of that. Not only that, but in Isaiah chapter 6, God told him, said, Isaiah, as you preach, guess what's going to happen? You're going to root out. People aren't going to believe. They're going to, they're going to, they're, they're going to not listen to your preaching. But I've got to root out before I build up, before I gather in the remnant and build up. Through your preaching, you're actually, your preaching is actually going to root out people and expose them as not being a part of my people. And then I'm going to gather in my remnant. But just think of the, uh, Isaiah was the prince of the prophets. And folks, think about the tough assignment that Isaiah had, a very difficult assignment. And yet he did it. Why? Because of faith. And finally, as verse 37 says here, Isaiah is probably an allusion to Isaiah. Jewish tradition, Jewish literature says that King Manasseh, wicked King Manasseh, took a saw and sawed Isaiah in two. Terrible death. But all of these people, look at what they did. Third application point that shows what they did. They overcame opposition and trials. Every single one of them. All of the ones that we've just mentioned overcame opposition and trials because of their faith and what they had been called by God to do. You see folks, a life of faith is a difficult way to go. A life of faith may not be a life of comfort and ease for you. Are you ready for that? There may be some family in here this morning that I'm talking to. 
and, and you've got a comfortable life right where you are and God is about to call you to the mission field and you're going to go to a mission field. I hope and pray. Our church is generous in giving to missions. I'd love to see some of our families go to the mission field. God may call your family to the mission field. And you may have to give up all the comforts of home to go to the mission field. That's acting on faith. If you think faith is supposed to be easy, I don't know what Bible you're reading from. Some of these Old Testament saints died for their faith. They were mocked. They were ridiculed. They were insulted. They were tortured. Some of them tortured and beaten before they were killed. And look at what they did to Jesus, the Son of the living God, crucified. Now this begs the question, why would anybody live this kind of life? Because of the God we serve. God is faithful. Our home is not here. Our reward is not here. We are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. We are not looking for a temporal inheritance. We are looking for an eternal inheritance and an eternal reward. We serve a God that's greater than anything we face in this world. Do you want to hear well done from men or do you want to hear well done from God? The writer of Hebrews isn't done yet. One more point of application. Faith doesn't mean you'll always see the full promise come to pass in your lifetime. Now this is the surprise in the whole scenario. But this did not diminish their reward. It may have delayed their reward but it did not diminish their reward. Because as the chapter closes out he points out that they were not perfected in their day apart from us. But they will be perfected. They will be glorified. They've experienced that in the presence of God. And so I want, I want to review just a minute what all he's pointed out thus far. They believed God. They acted on their faith. They overcame opposition trials. They died without receiving the full promise. That's quite a testimony, isn't it? But folks, I want, I want, to, I want to ask you to think about your life right now for a minute, okay? Okay? Enough talk about them. What's the example for you and me today? Let's go back even to the beginning of of the Christian life. Having faith in God and acting on that faith. Have you believed God? I want to say something to you. I know that I have kind of been beating a drum about it lately. And there's a reason. And I'll explain what the reason is. You ought to order a book that's out now by John Dickerson. Just remember Dickerson. The Great Evangelical Recession. The Great Evangelical Recession. And he's talking about what's going on in Christianity in America. He cites four studies. He said, you know, a lot of studies you can't really trust the research. 
But he names four. I won't go into details about those four. You can read about it in the book. But he, saw, he gives the reason why those are very four very trusted studies. They were done independently of one another with different motives even. And they all reached the same conclusion. What he's talking about in that book, you walk around America and you're going to find in America 76% of the population self-identifies as being Christians. Self-identifies. You know, in America, if, you, if you're born in America and raised in the Bible Belt, people say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm a Christian. They just they self-identify, 76%. But he says as, as these studies with these people, they, they dig deeper and deeper and lay, like peeling onions back, deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. These four studies, all of them have concluded the same thing. Only 7%, only 7% are genuine New Testament born-again believers. 7%. He says, you know what? 330 million people in America, uh, 20 million believers. He said, you could put all the believers in America in one state, the population of New York State. He said, color all other 49 states one color signifying unbelief. Put all the believers in one state, New York. That's all. That's all there is. Not 20, 25, 30, 40% that people are, say are believers. 7%. He said, in fact, all of the believers in America equal. You ready for this? The population of Muslims in one city, Cairo, Egypt. The number of Muslims in Cairo, not Egypt, Cairo, Egypt, the number of Muslims in Cairo, Egypt, the number of Christians in America equal the number of Muslims in one city in the Middle East. His point is, in the country, in denominations, in churches, in families, we have greatly, greatly over-exaggerated the number of believers. People identify as being Christians who know in their heart of hearts they have never genuinely been born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus a religious man, Nicodemus unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. The new birth is a radical birth the Holy Spirit of the living God does on a human life from the inside out. Religion imposes things from the outside in and it doesn't work. But Jesus changes people from the inside out and makes them a new creation in Christ. Have you had that experience? You see, the last thing I want is people in this church to stand before God one day and God says, depart from me, I never knew you. And he turns to me to give an account for this flock. Pastor, why didn't you warn more of your people? Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves to make certain you're really in the faith. Are you really in the faith? I hope you are. I hope I'm preaching to the choir. 
But do you know that you're born again and have eternal life? Do you have faith in God and have you acted on that faith the way these saints in Hebrews 11 did? And has it changed your life? You're a new person from the inside out. You're somebody different now than you were before. Or do you just have religion and church membership and that's all? And has your faith in God altered your life? The Bible says as New Testament saints, we're to serve in the local body of believers. You've got a gift that you're to be using for the good of the body. Faith practices that. Faith acts on that. You and I have a great commission to carry out. We say, God, I don't want to share my faith. Somebody might make fun of me and somebody might reject me. Again, are we going to care, care more about the opinions of men or are we going to obey God who's called us? It's the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. It's the fruit of the Spirit seen in our life. One man told me he knew a man in his church that, that professed faith in Christ, but he, but he told that man, he said, you know what? I can't forgive people. I can't let go of grudges. And this man said, what do you think about that? I said, I'll tell you what I think about that. In all likelihood, that's a professing Christian who's never truly been born again. Have you been born again and has it changed your life? Has it altered your life? Has your faith made a difference in the way you live and act? The way we read about in these saints here. Costly. Yes. Convenient. No. Comfortable. No. But folks, if you've come to faith in Christ, it's going to show itself, your priorities in life, your relationships, your, your, uh, your decisions, everything about your life. Now, I'm not meaning to imply that all of us are born instantly mature with everything. There's growing to do. But is there a difference your faith has made? Because only then can you live a life of faith. And you know what? Everything you want to see in your life of faith, right? you may not see until you get to heaven. You may not get the approval of people. You may not, you may not get what you think you deserve. But God knows. And faith says, you know what? I'm going to live for Christ despite what happens, despite what comes. And I know God will reward me. Is that the type of life you live? Let's pray together. Father, help us to be men and women of faith who take you at your word. Who are willing to pay the price for our faith and to endure trials without losing our hope. God, may even those around us be able to readily admit that they see in us a group of people who mean business with you, Father. 
Help us to come to the end of ourselves that we might truly discover you. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.